This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And good Sunday evening. My name is Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. place to be. Right here on the True Talk Radio Network. And of course, that happens occasionally where, um, where, where, where the station tries to get ahead of me. And so it starts playing other things. <laughs> All right. We stop that. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. My name is Howie Silberger. You could feel free to call in uh, throughout the entire show. Number to call 1 669 1292. I have a pretty exciting show for you today. I'm, I'm excited about it. And I know that you will be excited once I tell you about it, too. Coming up after 8 o'clock, we will be talking to my intrepid reporter from Toronto, Mr. Mark David. And we will also be talking to my long-suffering producer, Mr. Sheldon Eric Freed. That's coming up after 8 o'clock tonight. And, well, this hour, at least for a good portion of this hour, I, I, I want to talk to an old friend of ours. He, he, he's been on the show Uh We've talked terrorism with him. We've talked about uh, national security with him. He is the national security advisor for, uh, for the Clarion Project. But, but he's also a filmmaker. And he's produced this film, this unbelievable film, that, uh, that I urge you all to go and see. You, you just got to go onto YouTube and search for it. But we'll tell you how to get to it in just a couple of minutes. He's produced this film where he exposes the true location of Mount Sinai. Now, now, we talk about religion a lot on this show. We, 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 we are very religion-oriented on this show. And to find a true Mount Sinai is just, it's just mind-blowing. And when you watch the movie, when you watch the film that he put together, it, it's mind-blowing that first that he was able to get access to, um, to, to these locations, and secondly, that, uh, that he was able to produce this film and get out of, and get out of the country he was in with, um, with the footage that he has. So, so without further ado, I want to welcome to the show Ryan Morrow, uh, and uh, and and just say congratulations on on producing such a great film, Ryan. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, and, and thanks for saying that. I'm excited to talk with you about it. Uh, now, now I know that you you canceled a couple of appearances on this show because you were going to Saudi Arabia, and um, and you explained it to me. I'm going to Saudi Arabia. I can't tell you what I'm doing, but you know I have I have something to do in Saudi Arabia, and now I know what you were doing, and I I think it's amazing. <laughs> And, and now you're not mad at me anymore. That's that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> not that I could ever be mad at you. You've been very, very kind to us uh, over the years. When we've asked you to come on, you've always agreed to, and I, I appreciate that, really. From the bottom of my heart, I, I really thank sure. you for that. Um, so so what, compelled, sure, sure. what compelled you to, uh, to go and take a look at this, um, at, at, at this whole idea of where is Mount Sinai and, uh, and could, we prove the biblical, uh, could we prove the biblical story? What made you decide to go and do this? Well, I would, I would say shortly after I became uh, spiritual, because I, I just prefer that term over the term religious, but right. after I became spiritual, I was about to become a teenager. Um, as I got more into that, uh, because before that I wasn't, I didn't have any type of religious or church oriented upbringing. Uh, what there is this dilemma, which was that the academic consensus was that the Exodus story was 
a myth um, or at least 99% a myth. Um, and when you try to fact check that and defend it, like there really wasn't much evidence that, that, that the Exodus story happened at that time. Um, and that's kind of a big deal. If you're going to believe even the Bible or t the Torah, or, or even if you're a Muslim that believes in the Quran. Um, and I heard about this alternative theory saying that the traditional Mount Sinai in Egypt, Sinai Peninsula was not the correct Mount Sinai. And that's why all the research done there turned up barely anything. And this alternative theory uh, was that it was somewhere else. And a bunch of different candidates have been proposed, but the one that interested me the most said that it is in northwestern Saudi Arabia, but the Saudis had set up fences, and if you're an outsider trying to get to it, they would arrest you. And, and only a handful of outsiders from America had ever attempted to go, go in, and then they get arrested, and their evidence gets confiscated. But slowly, pictures and videos started to leak out. Um, but they were grainy, and it, when you'd hear about it, it came off like one of those old chain letters you would get in like AOL email. So yeah. it wasn't like that credible, but I was really fascinated with this theory. Um, and something, even though I wasn't convinced by it, um, looking back, I would say it was God, um, just kept making me go back to it and rereading the same material, even though I already knew about it. My mind was, it just kept on it. And then basically, in my, to me, a miracle happened uh, where out of almost completely nowhere, I got an opportunity to take a shot at going to Saudi Arabia and getting to these sites and getting in a drone and cameras and exposing this to the world. Um, even though I wasn't the one that discovered this, I never claimed that, but there was no modern footage and, and this was never really presented in a really compelling way. And uh, I got the chance and I took it. And so I've been there three times and really studied it. And this is the theory that I favor. And I think anyone that sees the film on YouTube, which is called Finding the Mountain of Moses, if you look it up, Finding the Mountain of Moses, I think you'll be persuaded as well. Um, if you follow the directions in the book of Exodus, like a treasure map, you run into evidence of almost everything that's described. So tell me, why, um, why has traditional uh, Judeo-Christian thought been that, uh, that it was a straight line, that, uh, that Egypt was what we see Egypt as, as today? Uh, we know from the Bible that Egypt was a vast territory. They were, they were, they were a huge country. They, they, they occupied a lot, a lot of land, which might have included the land of Saudi Arabia. Why do we assume that, um, that, that Egypt, and, and historically for, for centuries we've assumed that Egypt was what Egypt is, and that they came a direct line through what we call the Sinai Desert today. Um, why, why do you think that assumption is? Well, uh, basically, it, it comes down to a tradition from around the year, somewhere around 300, 400 A.D., uh, which is when the Catholic Church selected this mountain in Egypt, Sinai Peninsula as the site. Um, and there's two theories. Some say that was just basically made up um, by Helena um, and maybe based on a vision and some rumors. Um, the other theory, uh, which I favor, is that the maps were simply wrong back then. Uh, what we call the Gulf of Aqaba today doesn't appear on maps back then. Uh, that, that was not really a known geographic element. And so because of that, uh, I think they just followed 
truthful information and, and pick the wrong mountain because it's it's still kind of nearby. Um, so that was the tradition. They set up St. Catherine's Monastery there. Tourists start going there. And tradition and consensus is very hard to break, very hard to break, especially because if you become an academic, there are certain facts that you just embrace as, as your body of work. And so Mount Sinai being there would be one of them. Um, and people who are not archaeologists like myself, I'm not a scientist, uh, they wouldn't really listen to people like me. Um, so, you, so you don't get this alternative thinking in there. Um, and so we just stuck with it. But the latest research done by secular historians, not even connected with this theory, uh, independently, is that the, there is an older tradition saying Mount Sinai is right where this video shows it to be in northwestern Saudi Arabia. And that tradition is at least 600 years older than the traditional mountain and the tradition associated with that. Um, and so that's new groundbreaking research. So you can't even use the argument of, well, tradition favors that site anymore because no, it actually favors the, the this other place in Saudi Arabia. Remember, by the way, the book of Exodus says Moses fled to the land of Midian. Right. And that was almost entirely Saudi Arabia might have included some of Jordan. Some say it would have included the bottom of Egypt, Sinai Peninsula. Uh, I think the evidence is lacking of that. It doesn't really matter. The bottom line is if Moses fled to Midian, and that's where Mount Sinai is, the first place you should be looking is northwestern Saudi Arabia, and that's only been done in recent decades. All right, so you get to Saudi Arabia. You, you, I assume you went there under false pretenses for the Saudi government to get your visas to get into the country. You couldn't have been telling them that I'm looking for Mount Sinai. Did did you? Uh, I did. I, I there's no documentation that said we were looking for Mount Sinai. Um, I would not say that we broke the law. Um, we'll just kind of like leave it at that. Okay, fine. So so you you get to you get to Saudi Arabia and you you get your your driver to take you up to uh, to to this mountain range where 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 you think Mount Sinai exists. Uh, what what convinced you once you got there? What convinced you that this was Mount Sinai, that you were in the right place? Well, the locals all call it the um, Jebel Musa, Mountain of Moses. And oh. the Bedouins in the area, they just kind of stay there. And, and, this, and the other parts of the video related to evidence of the Exodus, you'll see this at all the sites. The local Bedouins have been there for generations, and they'll tell you, my grandfather was told by his grandfather that this is where the Yahud, the Jews, and Musa, Moses, were. Um, I remember my grandfather telling me as a young kid that we live in a special land. And so the, the local tradition is very, very strong there. Um, but they're, they're, aside from it being compatible biblically and also with old historical accounts, the evidence at the actual mountain is just stunning. Um, but what immediately comes to mind at Mount Sinai, well, first of all, is the plain. Uh, you, you have to have a, a large plain where millions of people could camp, uh, and that's there. Uh, it's almost like a giant stadium. It's like the mountains form a stadium, a protective barrier, and then you drive through uh, the valley, and you enter it, and then it just opens up, and it's this plain, just perfect campground in front of the mountain as if the mountain's a stage and something huge is about to happen. It's, it's just stunning when you first go into it. 
But then as you get closer to the mountain, what you'll see is evidence of bull worship that's very reminiscent and compatible with the story of the golden calf, where while Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he takes longer than expected. People assume he died, which is a reasonable assumption considering what the mountain was like in his age. And the, a portion of them start worshiping a golden calf, like, much like they did back in Egypt. And within like visual distance of the bottom of the mountain, there's this chained off area that the Saudis call an archaeological site with a sign saying, don't trespass into. And it's a pile of rocks. And drawn on there are a bunch of petroglyphs of bulls and people worshiping bulls. And it's Egyptian style as well. Um, some say it may not necessarily be Egyptian, but it's certainly very, very, very similar. And so you see a stand uh, that you can climb up. And then in front of it is this like lifted platform that certainly looks like an altar to me. So the Bible says that there obviously had to be a stand for the golden calf. There was all this golden calf worship going on. And then there was an altar in front of it. And where this is positioned in front of the mountain, as it describes that Moses first heard them and then saw them as he came towards the bottom, it's just, it, it's perfectly placed. And you're, you look at it and you say, okay, what went on here? Obviously, it was a certain group of people worship a bull at this spot, and it suddenly stopped. Like, it's not a huge area, but at this specific spot, you know it happened and, and then stopped, and it's focused on bulls. Wow. Wow, that's, that's, that's mind-blowing, really. And it must have been mind-blowing when you were standing there and you saw this. It must, it must just be... It's almost like you have a checklist in front of you going, check, 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 check. Wow, it's amazing. Oh, that's what I literally did. It's amazing. Literally, we, we we went. I went through a checklist, and we just followed the Book of Exodus as literally as possible. Because people forget when you read it, there's all these little details and directions that you don't remember because you have no context for it. But they'll say they camped south, they camped by the water, um, you know, real specific directions. And if you follow it using this theory, that's that's how you find everything. It, it's like, and you see why they explained it in the Book of the of Exodus the way they explain certain things that might've seemed odd, or you're like, why they mention that? You're like, when you're there, it, it, it really does make sense. Now, the other key piece of evidence um, at the mountain itself, and there's other evidence on the journey to the mountain we can talk about, but at the mountain itself, the Bible says that God told Moses to set up an altar made of uncut stone without stairs at the foot of the mountain. Very specific. Right. You go to the foot of the mountain, and you see an altar of uncut stone without stairs. And you can see the animal corrals where they would have lined up animals for sacrifice leading up to a sacrificial pit where the Saudi government admits animal waste and ash has been found. So clearly evidence of burnt sacrifice. And it's right next to where a brook, a river used to flow, which again, the, the Bible says that there was a river flowing down from Mount Sinai. And it comes down next to the altar, which makes sense because you, the priests during the sacrificial process had to wash their hands. So that's a detail you wouldn't think about, but it would have to be present. And God told Moses next to that altar, set up 12 pillars to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And there are about 12 pillars 
visible right next to this altar. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just trying to, just trying to observe it all as you're saying it, Ryan. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's hard to believe, but I, I watched the movie. I saw, I saw, I saw the video of it and, and still seeing the video and talking to you. It's still hard to believe that, um, that there's this kind of proof that exists that, that, that's not really well known that, that tourists don't go flocking to, because I guess the Saudis don't allow it. Um, it's 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 mind-boggling that uh, such an important site is being preserved, is being preserved and not being exploited for tourist reasons. And I really, I actually appreciate that. That um, I think yeah, it's actually a good. Who would have thought that we'd be thanking the Saudis and their Sharia law? But in this circumstance, yeah, thank God for it because if this was known, we would have trashed that place. <laughs> We'd have a hotel over it. Yeah, there'd be nothing when you go there. to this place, you you really feel like you're seeing the Exodus in front of you. It's like going back in time. It's surreal. They, they, they would have recreated the thing. <laughs> That's true. That is exactly what would have happened. Uh, five shows a day. <laughs> all, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, all right, Ryan, hold on one sec. We've got to take a little break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the journey there and, uh, and some of the other evidence that you experienced on, on your way to Mount Sinai. And, 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 uh, what, and uh, what happened? Like, you know, what was the reaction after you published the movie? But, uh, but we'll get to that in just a minute. You're listening to the Howie Silverger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I'm Howie Silverger. Ryan Morrow is my guest, and uh, and he, he produced this amazing movie. And uh, I, I urge you, I urge you to go to uh, YouTube and see it. It's called uh, um, Ryan. It's called the Moses Amount, the Mountain of Moses. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Finding the Mountain of Moses. Finding the Mountain of Moses. All right, cool. All right, so we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, uh, we will continue our conversation with Ryan. Heart. Went up 
This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. Now, that wasn't the song that I thought it was. <laughs> that happens a lot. Uh, the, um, that, that, that was a song called uh, Zion Mountain is Real. And I tried to find a mountain song to play while we are talking to Ryan about mountains. And um, that wasn't the song that I thought it was. But it, it was a good song anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan Morrow's here. Uh, he has a movie called uh, – well, well, I keep forgetting the name of the movie because I'm so excited about talking to you. <laughs> Uh, well, what is it? I, I was tempted to just not just to leave it silent and let you take another guess at it. But uh, the name is Finding the Mountain of Moses. Finding the Mountain of Moses. I should write this down. It's called Finding the Mountain of Moses. I have it bookmarked, and I, I could go to YouTube right now and watch it. I have it bookmarked. Um, well, you'll post it on your Facebook or oh, yeah, Twitter yeah. or whatever, I hope. I've been sharing it. I've been sharing it nonstop. I hope you know that. Uh, every oh, time, good, good. Every, every time I have a conversation with anybody about about uh, about does the Bible is the Bible true? Do we have to believe in God? And I always say, yeah, watch this movie. <laughs> you don't believe in God? Watch oh, this God, movie. Thank you. Um, because this movie is really, re- really kind of proves the Exodus story. Now, now there are, there are a lot of Jews that Ryan will say that what Saudi Arabia? That's not Egypt. That's totally against my tradition. What the heck are you talking about? Those crazy Christians. Uh, yeah, right. How would you answer that? <laughs> yeah, so there has been. Um, uh, I work with uh, some some Jews who are concerned about because I work for the Clarion Project, but Clarion Project was not involved in this, and uh, so there were some concerns. They're like, well, if this is going against what's thought to be tradition, um, uh, you know, since since the Torah, like just what's been passed down, this is going to be seen as an attack on Jewish tradition, and we don't like that. Uh, but if you go to the Jewish Encyclopedia, you'll see that it, the, according to the Jewish Encyclopedia, an authoritative source, there is no tradition and certainly no consensus about where Mount Sinai is and therefore what the route of the Exodus is. Um, and there was one rabbi I was talking to who hasn't studied this theory or, or the Exodus from like an archaeological standpoint. And I said, okay, show me a map of what your what you're telling me your tradition, your firm tradition shows uh, Mount, where Mount Sinai is. And he sent me the map, and the map was the one produced by Christians to the traditional site that that, that had no pre- Jewish tradition associated with it. So that's the power of consensus. Um, and, and it turns out if you look at the modern historical research, uh, like things like the Septuagint even has references that argue in favor of this theory uh, that Mount Sinai is in northwestern Saudi Arabia. So um, this, is, this by no means contradicts 
Jewish tradition that exists outside of the Torah. Uh, what kind of feedback did you get from people once you published the once you published the movie? Did you get did you get a lot of pushback, or were people just happy that that su- suddenly some su- that finally excuse me somebody put up something like this? Uh, well, people who were aware of the theory, um, especially those that were skeptical just because of the low quality of, of video and footage and, and it just wasn't really presented in a modern way um, with a rigorous website and that sort of thing. Uh, they were very appreciative of it. I would say the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive and, and much more positive than I thought. I did not go to Saudi Arabia for this wanting to make a documentary. It wasn't until after the first trip because I said, my, look, my credibility and my career is in counterterrorism and national security. And so I bring a certain skill set in, in terms of analysis and research to this. But like, I, this isn't my thing. Um, but then I saw the big need for this to get out there. And just as I tried explaining the theory to people and I started putting the different clips together, it just naturally became a documentary on its own. And I saw how it impacted people. Uh, people crying and and different doors opening. And I was like, oh, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Um, so it wasn't part of my ambition. And But I was still scared when I released. I'm like, there's going to be a lot of people who think I'm nuts now, that I'm a religious nut. <laughs> and I still don't know how it's going to go. I was nervous. Um, but the feedback has been just po- positive beyond what I ever could have comprehended, including from the Muslim world. Uh, there's a lot of Muslims that w- that will say this is, a Zionist conspiracy that I'm trying to create a pretext for Israel to attack Saudi Arabia and seize it um, because there's a conspiracy theory that this is part of an anti-Christ plan uh, that that radical Muslims believe in. But aside from those people who you'll never win over, um, I'm getting a lot of emails from Muslims that are saying, uh, thank you for this. This is amazing. I hope it's opened up to the world and we can meet one day. And uh, beyond people saying, oh, this is incredible, the the book of Exodus is probably true, um, those feelings of sentiment from the Muslim world, uh, that's one of the most special things. This idea that they want people of other faiths to come there and and us all to just kind of like be there together, unified, because we all believe in Moses. All right, so I just shared the uh, link for the movie on both my Facebook page and the Howie Silberger Facebook page. So if you want to go and watch the movie, uh, just, just follow the links I just shared. Uh, Ryan, the, the, the movie's had 584,233 views. Uh, that's, that's, that's a lot in a month, in a, in a couple of months. Uh, when did you put this up? On December, in December, right? Early December. So that, Yeah, and I have no money for advertising or anything. I mean, I wow. work for a nonprofit. Um, so, like, I mean, I spent my own savings on this. Um, and it took a big leap of faith for me to do that because I didn't have much savings. So I really put everything on the line. Um, and just amazingly, it came together and I debuted it when I was on the Glenn Beck show and he watched it the night before and he called it a game changer for mankind and said it started a new journey in his faith. And uh, that got a lot of people watching it. And that's part of why it went viral. But then foreign outlets, even more than American, have been covering it. And it just keeps showing up in different places. It's just, I, I, I don't know, it's just amazing to me. It's gotten that many views in such a short period of time with me doing basically nothing. 
It's amazing to to get it out there beyond a few you know a few interviews and like I think I spent twenty bucks on Facebook advertising at one point, <laughs> but that's it. Wow. Uh, so so you said that on your journey down, you saw plenty of evidence of the exodus. Uh, I just want to get back to that because I, I think I think the stuff that you found in Saudi Arabia was is fascinating. Um, what what kind of evidence did you find on the journey down? Uh, we've heard over over the course of centuries that there is no evidence of the Jews being in Egypt and uh, no evidence of the Jews uh, uh, of the exodus. That that you can't find anything anything concrete to say that the Jews left Egypt and and worked their way through forty years down to uh, down to Israel. Uh, what kind of evidence did you see uh, uh, during your journey in in Saudi Arabia? Sure. Well, for the first part of the Exodus story, where the Hebrews are, are enslaved, I would recommend a film called Patterns of Evidence. Patterns of Evidence, the best documentary on that topic. It, it'll meet all your expectations. Um, it really proves that that all happened, that first part of the story. Where my documentary goes, it basically is almost like a sequel to it. Uh, we start with the Red Sea Crossing. Um, and according to the research that we've done, which was based on research done by other people, um, they, there's really only two candidates, uh, either a crossing at the bottom of Egypt's Sinai Peninsula or the one that I favor, uh, which is at Egypt's Nueva Beach. And it's a beach that just sticks out. You can see it from Google Earth, and it actually almost becomes obvious it's the crossing point. If you're looking for a crossing point across the Gulf of Aqaba part of the Red Sea. Uh, so this big beach that sticks out and it's surrounded by mountains and there's only a narrow valley that leads to it. And so it fits the descriptions by the Bible and Josephus of how the Moses and the Israelites were just blocked in by mountains on all sides and Pharaoh's army had them trapped right behind them. Um, and, and it's narrow enough that like if there was a pillar of fire, that's why it's a pillar of fire and not a rectangle of fire, you know, like even that makes sense because it's narrow, you know. And uh, so it's big enough to hold millions of people just at that one spot. And here's what's crazy. The, uh, according to published scientific data, if you were to separate the waters, what you find underneath at that at that beach is that there's a smooth with a with a very narrow, not narrow, very um, gentle slope. A uh, land path of sand. So if the waters were parted, but then like there's a canyon, the story doesn't work. Yeah. But here, and only right here that I'm aware of, if you parted the waters, there'd be this sand path that the Israelites could walk over into Saudi Arabia at. And then on the sides, it's super, super steep, like an Empire State Building type steep. And so you can easily see why if the waters came back over and Pharaoh's army were, were there, like they would drown instantly. They oh. would die just in an instant. It makes so much sense right there. And there is arguably some evidence of Pharaoh's army, the debris of Pharaoh's army being there uh, within the coral. Um, not 100% proven, but the theory is, is that the coral wrapped itself around some of the wooden objects, consumed the wooden objects, and then retain the shape, which is, which is something that you'll see happen elsewhere. But then when you look at the coral there, it looks like a junkyard, like it looks like chariot parts. Interesting. And yeah, right. And then there's more evidence of the accident. You've left me almost speechless here. <laughs> what what other evidence is yeah, there? It's, it's, <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, I could just keep going uh, if you want. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so so you go from that spot, which for a million other reasons, if you look at the little details in the, in the book of Exodus, that spot makes sense it, within the journey. Journaling through the wilderness, you can, you, you can, like, it just makes so much sense. So you go there, and then right at that point is this underwater land path. And so theoretically, they cross through it when the waters were parted. And then they land on the other side where there's another large beach because they have to have somewhere to land uh, that could accommodate millions of people. Uh, interesting coincidence. And from there is where they begin the encampments, according to the book of Exodus. And the second encampment is called Elam, and it means a, a small oasis. And according to the book of Exodus, Moses and the Israelites end up here. And what, what they're amazed to see is that there's 12 wells. So there's 12 tribes of Israel. They've used it as a sign. And there's 70 palm trees. Well, you follow this path from that point that I described. You enter into an oasis that to this day has a ton of palm trees because they reproduce, but 12 wells. Whoa. And the locals call them the wells of Moses. And, and there's a camping, a, a spot to camp nearby. Like, like it just—it's crazy how many coincidences line up with this. Now, now, while you were there, as you're walking the path of the Israelites, uh, what was going through your body? What was what, what emotional reaction were you having? Uh, as a person of faith, you must have been having some kind of reaction. Yeah, it, it's different for me because I'm a person who I, I have atheist days. You know, I okay. have a lot of. I, I, th- I think we all do. I, th- I think we all do. If not atheist, okay. Well, maybe people it, just don't want to admit it. <laughs> if, if not atheist days, agnostic days for sure, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, um, so for me, it was just special, especially because I remember how, like, right after I became religious, spiritual, whatever. Uh, this is what God set my heart on, even if I didn't fully believe this theory, and to see it come full circle. That story alone is just, on a personal level, tear-jerking. And um, actually, I first got introduced to this theory because my mom gave me a book about it um, that she just happened to read from, like, a bookstore or whatever. And on the third trip, I, uh, I, brought, I brought my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, just special. And so I, I want to say, like, I had this, mir- this big, mir- miraculous, you know, story like some people may be wanting but on a personal level i definitely felt god working through the coincidences which is which is different i i don't if i saw god in person or something and some type of miraculous thing happened i'd come back and i'd say i was probably tripping on acid somehow right like i would if i would find a way to explain it away because i'm so cynical but seeing all the coincidences line up and seeing the minor role that i could play with my skill set and following this path and seeing evidence of everything, I mean, it's just amazing. And we did encounter Saudi police several times where logically you think we'd be jailed, thrown out like other people. But something always happened where that didn't happen. And I'm an anxious person even when I travel. And I got to tell you, in Saudi Arabia when I was doing this, no anxiety. It wasn't even an adrenaline rush. Somehow I knew I was going to be okay and I was going to get to all these spots. Wow. I can't quite explain that. But I knew that I didn't get scared when the Saudi police showed up at our hotel and approached us and we had some hostile encounters. And they didn't try to take your footage away? 
No, not they just they just went away. Wow. It, it's, I mean, and some of them were like, I think some of them just didn't want to have to deal with like, you really want to arrest Americans like with Trump in office, like you really want to get into an international incident. Right. Um, but some of them even said, um, like at the Red Sea crossing. Uh, when we're, my colleagues are trying to dive and they didn't let us, even though we were legally allowed to, um, the one of the police officers was like, yeah, sorry. It's just, you know, it's because you guys are Americans and, and we've heard about Americans trying to go out and find artifacts here, <laughs> you know, like, like just, and he was like, I don't really know what they mean, but even that police officer had heard, yeah, there's something archeological about this spot. He just personally didn't care. Um, but seeing, feeling like I was going back in time because there's so much desert, and you and to get to Mount Sinai, you have to drive extensively. Um, it, that that's just incredible. And and so one of the things that the video does is we're trying to fundraise so that we can support efforts to engage the Saudis and the U.S. State Department to say not just preserve these sites that some some of them have fences around them already to be preserved, preserve the entire plain, preserve the pathway. We don't want to look in the distance and see a swimming pool like you do in Cairo and Egypt near the pyramids. I want, I want people to experience what I did, which is where you're driving in the desert for a while and you see the valley and you don't see anything modern. And then you see all of this. So how long do you think it's going to take till this becomes a tourist uh, trap? Um, we know that the Saudi government is probably on its way out within the next, uh, within the next little while. Uh, once the Saudi government uh, switches over, once the monarchy disappears and the Saudi government switches over to whatever chaos is going to take over there, um, do we um, do, do we anticipate this opening up to to tourists or this being destroyed somehow? Uh, you know, what is the we, yeah? We we don't really know. Um, that's a big question. And one of the things I've learned is that the Saudi government uh, is not all that well coordinated. So you can get different answers and different ambitions from different parts of the Saudi government. Um, but right now, what MBS is planning on doing is constructing the Neom project. And it's a super city that is 33 times the size of New York, and it's supposed to be as modern as Dubai. And it's all like anyone talks about in Northwestern Saudi Arabia, especially the young kids that want to be connected with the outside world and not live in medieval times. Uh, so everyone's excited about that, and that's why a lot of people support MBS. Um, and if he doesn't deliver on that, he's in big trouble. But when you look at the plan of where they want to build, Mount Sinai is right in the middle of it. So some people will – these are just rumors – will say, well, the secret plan is to turn all this into a giant tourist site, and they're just not announcing it yet, and Neom will be built around it. Um, based on the construction that I saw going on, right near the mountain. Um, I don't think that's the case. And even if they preserve the sites and, you know, the real, like the, the archeological sites with a fence around it, you construct next to it. Like, like you're going to be destroying evidence. You're going to make evidence not accessible because this is all stuff on the top. No one has taken a shovel to this place and, and dug down a foot. So how much is there? And there's so much more in the film than we're even discussing in this interview. Right. So how much more is there that could be damaged or become not accessible because people are building in the immediate area? So preserving the, the sites themselves, our ambitions have to go beyond that. So that's 
why we're asking for donations at the site and also for further research because we have things we have not released because we want to confirm them and do more research. Uh, we, we have big plans, um, but I, I'm optimistic that we can get the U.S. State Department and the Saudi government to work with us on this once they realize how many trillions of dollars that they can make. And so whoever's in power in Saudi Arabia, unless they're, they're a real radical Wahhabi, um, will look at that and look at our proposal and say, um, yeah, we better, we better preserve this entire area and, and do what, you know, work with Ryan Morrow and the U.S. government on handling this the right way. Uh, we've already heard stories of artifacts being destroyed, so it's, you know, that, that part's unfortunate. Yeah, and uh, once people move in or, or businesses start opening up in the area, then more and more is going to be destroyed because that's the way it is. People, people, yeah. aren't, people aren't careful around artifacts at all. They, um, you know, they just don't care. Yeah, and well, how would you even know? Because, like, yeah. some of the inscriptions we found, um, and others have found, like my friend Joel Richardson, who uh, who's a friend of mine, I didn't tell him I was going, and then, like, the week after I got back, he messages me, and he's like, sorry, I haven't told you, but guess where I'm going in a week? Uh, I, I somehow got access. Like, like that's just a crazy <laughs> mirror, you know, like, oh, we both got to go at, like, the same time, and he, he uh, wrote a book that basically supplements my film. Like, to me, that's a God thing. That, that's just a crazy coincidence. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you, you think about all this, and, and it's like you want tours to go there, but you also want it to be heavily monitored and so that nobody trashes the place. And some of the inscriptions that we found and Joel found on his own, uh, it's just because you happen to look in the right spot, and you can easily see how um, someone driving a truck would drive over it or someone would pick up a rock and smash it and not realize it was an inscription because it's so small. So you could accidentally destroy a lot. Yeah, it would be such a shame if a, if a place that's, as you say, is so pristinely preserved because nobody's ever touched it gets destroyed by construction. I mean, I hate when that happens. <laughs> and it happens yeah, a lot. Yeah, this would be the worst because this is the I mean, like, the visual evidence. We didn't even talk about the split rocks, but, you know, right. I don't know how much time we have left if you want me to go into that. Oh, yeah, let's talk about the split rock because split rock is actually the most interesting, one of the most interesting things I saw I saw in the movie. Uh, not not that everything else wasn't so interesting, but the split rock was really was really one of the one of the highlights of the movie. Let's put it that way, right? And you built up to it the entire right, movie, right? <laughs> so so yeah, I was about purposely not mentioning it because I like to use it as a kicker, and then I sometimes at the end of interviews, like I don't time it right, and then I end up not talking about it. Yeah. So that's why I made sure <laughs> that we had time. Oh, we got um, time. <laughs> but ba- yeah, so you follow this path and. You follow it very literally, and then you come to a valley, and there's a specific part near this mountain that in, like, textbooks about Saudi Arabia and the weather will say this is the driest point. There's no water in the area, and it gets barely a, any rainfall ever. And it li- this spot lines up with Rephidim, which is where the Bible says uh, the Israelites, like, almost launched a coup against Moses because they needed water so badly um, and th- that they're ready to die of thirst. And it just so happens that on this route, this spot is, there's a notoriously dry spot where there's no water and, and, and it's in Saudi textbooks. And you go to this valley and this is on the Western side of Mount Sinai um, or, or Mount Horeb, however you want to call it. And the Bible says uh, before they arrive at Mount Sinai, uh, they come to Rephidim, 
where this miracle happens at Horeb. And people say, well, how does that make sense? How can they be at Sinai, but then like, they're camping at Sinai, but it says they didn't actually arrive? Well, the topography of this makes sense because it's on the western side and it's on the eastern side where Moses and all them camp and the golden calf and all that happened. So it made sense of that apparent biblical contradiction once we saw the topography. So we solved that contradiction that you might see on the internet. But in this area that we believe is Rephidim, um, there is a split rock. And it brings to mind the miracle where God tells Moses, go up to the rock at Horeb. There's some distinct rock that he's talking about. You go up to the rock at Horeb and strike it with your rod, and I'm going to make water come out of it. And your people are going to have water. And at every point in this journey, it's like, when we look at the evidence of this stuff, it's all bigger than you imagine, right? Because it's got to be a big de demonstration for millions of people. You go, so you go to this spot, and there's a 100-foot hill. And on top of it is like a 50, 60-foot rock split right down the middle. Wow. So everyone could see this split rock from far away. It just dominates the landscape. And underneath it, in this area where all the rocks are like, it's like hell to drive through, it's all smooth. Like, like you can see right where there were streams leading to a lake right below that hill where split rock is. And if you trace it where the smooth rock is, it leads up to that split. It's just crazy. You're driving and you're you're bouncing, and then all of a sudden everything gets real smooth, and it looks like there were multiple streams flowing for a long time, eroding the rock, making it smooth. And you're like, "What the heck is this?" And then you keep driving, and you follow that, and it leads up this hill to the split rock. Uh, were you able to walk right up to the split rock? I mean, were you able to look at it and examine it close up, or is it also fenced in? See, what's interesting about that is that. All the Saudis think that, that they've been told that that's a forbidden military zone, but there's no sign saying that. So you, you can drive into the area, but then the local Bedouins, if they see you and, you'll, and you don't know any of them, uh, they'll kick you out. Uh, they say that they've been actually told by the Saudi government that uh, you are p basically police officers and your job is to not let anyone into this area. And if they come into this area, then bring them over to the police. And uh, one guy, we think, uh, was shooting his gun to try to scare us because we heard two gunshots. We we're flying a, a pretty loud drone in the area, so that obviously got attention. Um, but I walked up to it. I climbed the hill, and I actually stood in the split. Wow! And you and you can see that in the film. Yeah. And when you were in the split, did you did you see signs of water in the in, on the stone? Or, or, or around your feet where you were standing? Did you see the physical I, signs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got to be careful because I'm not a geologist, but yeah, I will tell you this. It looks like normal rock, um, except for the split in the middle. And it looks like there's almost, almost looks like two holes on each side of the split. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like, like indents, and it, and it might be a hole or just like an indent that you can see through. And then at the bottom where you're standing, um, in the middle of the split, that's where it gets like real smooth and it, the texture dramatically changes. And then the texture leads downwards, um, down the hill and, and you look down, that's where you see the flat area with what looks to be 
where streams used to used to flow. So it was a powerful it was a powerful um, body of water. And you, you look in Psalms and you look in the book of Exodus for like little details. And it says that uh, when this happened, um, the, the, there was a tremble. So it was like an earthquake and the water flowed downwards. Right. You know, so you look at that detail and you're like, ah, well, that makes sense. And one geologist who studied the area uh, told us that there are signs of underground um, aquifers and fault lines in the area. And what can happen is that water from like the sea can go into these underground aquifers. And then if a fault line opens up violently, then water shoots out. Right. So you can see scientifically how, how actually this would work. If the water had to come from somewhere and it wasn't just like God making it appear, well, uh, there are indications that there's an underwater or, or underground aquifer in this area. And so if you have an earthquake, it's possible that the spot it, it burst through was right here at that split rock. Wow. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, it's just mind blowing that the Bible story and the facts on the ground seem to match up so closely. Um, you know, uh, your whole life, you go through your whole life and, uh, and people that you meet are always telling you, well, you know, Bible and science aren't compatible and Bible and reality aren't compatible and they're just fables. But when you see something like this and you, and you actually experience something like this, do you realize, you, you realize it's not really all that fabulous, is it? It's not, it's, it's not really fables. It's actual, it's actual truth. So has this made you a more, a more spiritual person or a less spiritual person? Oh, de definitely more. And also, I feel like I understand my own faith better, my own relationship with God better. Um, there's things I see in my daily life where I feel like, oh, I can see all these variables shifting in my life when I face a certain problem, and I can tell God's about ready to open up a door in this direction. Um, my sense of that uh, ha has certainly increased um, just because I saw it so many times in Saudi Arabia when something would go wrong or even just like the underground aquifer, you know, like, like you just, life is a series of coincidences and, and math, you know? And, and so in your own life, when you face a problem and then all of a sudden you're like, it, it gets solved and it somehow all works and your life doesn't implode. And, and you're like, well, how did that happen? Look how many moving parts there were. Um, that to me is the hand of God. And, and I feel like I see that more in my daily life, um, as a result of, of all this seeming so real, um, because a lot of people could look at this and say, oh, well, it's all just a coincidence, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I can't prove that God did all of this, even if the story is true, uh, it could all just be coincidences and scientific processes, but you know, maybe it's in those crazy coincidences is, is where we find God, you know, more, more than these miracles that you hear about that half of which, you know, end up being hoaxes. Right. And uh, I would agree with you that that God is in the coincidences, that by looking at life and looking backwards from where you're standing, looking backwards, you could see each time the hand of God has come in to guide your life and come in to change things or to help you out with whatever. And uh, you only see it in, you, only, you only see it behind you. You never see it in front of you. Which, which is amazing, because that's, that's the nature of miracles, isn't it? That you don't see them coming. They just happen. Yeah. And then you realize they happened after they've happened. 
Uh, Ryan Morrow is... Yeah, I feel like it's yeah. more impressive than than something you can't explain, right? I of mean, course. If, if you see yeah. some miracle that you can't explain, you'd be like, oh, well, I had a psychological breakdown. But when it's all stuff in front of you, somehow working like a system, uh, like that's more impressive to me. Uh, I agree. Ryan Morrow is the... Uh, is the, is the producer of Finding the Mountain of Moses. See, I got it right this time. Finding the Mountain of Moses, the real Mount Sinai in Saudi <laughs> Arabia. Uh, you could find it on YouTube, but I, I've put, I put convenient links up on my Facebook page and the Howie Soberger Show Facebook page. So feel free to go there and click on it, like 533,000 other people have, and, uh, and watch this amazing, yeah. watch this amazing movie. Um, if you didn't believe the Bible story of Exodus and you sat around the Passover table and you told the story and you didn't believe it, uh, maybe this will help convince you that sometimes what you think might be a myth or might be a fable or might be a parable it, it might actually have happened. Now, um, uh, I had an argument there last week, Ryan, uh, last week or two weeks ago. We had, we had an argument, uh, it, was, it was on Facebook and here on the show, uh, about, about, about God and, um, and does God exist and could we prove God exists and... Uh, and and could you be could you be considered part of a religion if you don't believe in God? That that was that was the gist of the uh, of the argument we're having, and uh, I ke- I kept saying, well, you know, um, because they they kept saying that science trumps God, and I kept saying, well, God created science, so, <laughs> so science could trump God. Right, but, you're right. But, but God created science. Um, God is God is a God is absolute. Science is always a hypothesis, right? You, you you're always trying to disprove science, and you know because you're trying to disprove science, now you're trying to disprove God. I understand the intellectual, the intellectual journey there, um, but watching a movie like Finding the Mountain of Moses, or, or or listening to somebody like you who have been there and speak about it and say, "Hey, you look at the Bible and you read the account in the Bible, then you look straight ahead and there it is," um, only only goes to prove to prove and to and to strengthen my belief in God and uh, and prove to me that that God exists and the stories that we heard. Uh, existed they happened um look the uh, the flood story every nation in the world has a flood story right around the world everybody has a flood story and all around the same time period yeah so um you know the, can't the, be a coincidence that's right? right that's right and even if it is a coincidence uh i'm of the belief that if there are multiple coincidences that lead to a certain ending then they're not really coincidences then those are the steps that you have to go to get to that ending and this is god's hand guiding you mm-hmm. there um, yeah, I don't. I don't think anything in life is a coincidence. I, I think things are planned out. God has a plan, and we 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 all have to follow the plan of God. And that's that's the way I believe. That's what I believe, and I've always believed that. And um, and, and I think I think making movies like this and and watching movies like this uh, lead a lot of other people to that same belief that that we read the Bible, we look at the we look at the we look at the floor the floor space. And we realize that uh, that God does exist. The hand of God is there. And uh, I thank you for, uh, for for bringing us this movie. I thank you for putting your life savings into this and uh, and doing this. And and I thank you for being such a good yeah. friend of the show and uh, and uh, coming on every time I, I've asked you to come on, except when you've been in Saudi Arabia. But other than that, thank you so much for <laughs> for for coming on to the show every time I've asked you. I mean, you you are a security and a terrorism expert, and we talk a lot about terrorism on the show too. And it's always good to have uh, that connection between me and you. And I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I look forward to next time. Uh, right. Good night. Ryan, if people want to donate, by the way, uh, how do they do that? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we didn't get to that. Let's, let's give people the option. Oh, sure. Uh, the best thing they can do is go to sinaiinarabia.com. 
and you donate online or you can send a check to the address um, that's on there. So it's SinaiInArabia.com. SinaiInArabia.com. Um, yeah, help Ryan, help Ryan do this because he's doing important work. So help Ryan do this. Is there, are you planning a sequel to this movie? You plan to do, to go and research something else? Yeah, there's more, there's more video that I want to release and, and there are multiple leads in the area to other things that are described in the Exodus where evidence may be. Um, and also we have video of things that we haven't released because I'm still further researching them that would give even more evidence that this is where it all happened, that it's all true. And we have a long-term plan of, uh, I mean, I'd love to eventually get to the point where we have a Bible online and when you click a verse, a sidebar shows up where you can click to go to a page to see the archaeological evidence for it. So <laughs> whatever so verse awesome. you're looking at, <laughs> yeah, that way every time there's a sermon or you know anyone's teaching about a part of the Bible, uh, every person that they mention, they can click and see you know what evidence uh, we have that that actually happened. That would be so awesome. Oh my gosh. I, I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> I would really, really love that. All right. So uh, like I said, go go out there and donate and uh, and help Ryan achieve this goal because I really want that website to exist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Howie Silverger. He's Ryan Morrow. Thank you so much, Ryan, for your, uh, for joining me today. I appreciate it. All right, Thank so you. we're going to take a little break. When we come back, uh, we'll be joined by my intrepid reporter from Toronto, Mr. Mark David, and, uh, well, my long-suffering producer, Sheldon Eric Fried, will also be here. And, of course, we'll take your calls at one 669 1292 I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. In the sky, there lived a mighty king who loved his nation. Lost below, they had wandered far and wide, searching for a way to return and watching helplessly try. To whisper to their hearts The only answer It's not a road Or a path that you must find All I need to hear Are the words We
has begun Now that the time has come To end the story All the things we have had to do are done We are ready now to be heard And so we come to you as one And standing hand in hand We're growing stronger Look now You can see how far we've come Just believe in us Hear the
And welcome to our number two of the Howie Silberger Show. My name is Howie Silberger, and joining me right now, right now, this this exact moment. Is my intrepid reporter from Toronto, Mr. Mark David, and my long-suffering producer, Mr. Sheldon Eric Freed. Hello, gentlemen. Good evening, Howie. Howie. Mark. How are you guys doing? Good. You? I'm doing fine. Excellent. Life is like a bowl of potatoes. Uh-huh. Is it? Knishes or what? Well, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. 
All right. I'm Howie Silberger. Uh, he's Mark David. He's Shelton Eric Freed. And uh, you could be on the phones. Number to call, one 669 1292 That was almost English. one 669 1292 It starts already. Is the number to call. That, that sort of gives you the idea of where the show is headed. Right here on the Howie Silberger Show. English is my first language. So we it? say. And I, I enunciate beautifully. <laughs> well, in my case, as a professional newscaster, I have to make sure I enunciate brilliantly. Otherwise, uh, it's not much of a newscast. It's not much of a talk show if I can't talk. <laughs> Just a thought. Uh, all right. So, um, gentlemen, there was a, t- a horrific terror attack in Israel. And um, what, what cracks me up uh, <laughs> about a terror attack, really, uh, what, what, what cracks me up is that... What cracks you up about a terror attack? doesn't sound right. Yeah. Okay. Let me finish my sentence. Can I finish my sentence? Sure. Please do. Thank you. So there was a a horrific terror attack in Israel. And what really cracks me up is that when I posted up that the details of this horrific terror attack, I was attacked by a bunch of lefties who said, how do you know this? And uh, oh my gosh, you are wrong. And then when I post up the articles to prove I was right, they, they just shut up. They didn't, they didn't answer me. And that, that kind of cracks me up because, I mean, like, you know, first they go to attack and then they come back and they, you know, when I, when I prove my point, they, they just don't talk anymore. It takes all the fun out of proving them wrong, if you know what I mean. Oh, seeing that they're not talking back about it, I guess they, I guess they are admitting that they're wrong. They might be. Yeah, but, you know, if you're going to admit you're wrong, shouldn't you say, I was wrong, I apologize uh, for calling you a liar? <laughs> that would be the best practice, I would say. Yep. Yeah, by not saying anything, you're not really saying that. You're just kind of ignoring the fact that you called me a liar. Well, yeah, I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that was just a thought off the top of my head. It was a horrible grizzly terror attack. The uh, terrorist recreated the attack today for the police. Uh, the attack included um, included raping this poor young 19-year-old woman, um, raping her, stabbing her, and then cutting her head off. Oh, jeez. Oh, a horrific terror attack. And, um, and uh, our, hearts, uh, our hearts really go out to the family of, of Ori Ansbacher, uh, who, who was killed uh, this week in Israel. And the terrorists, and I really believe, and I've believed this for a long time, that... Um, that the death penalty should apply to terrorists in Israel. That uh, there should be no rehabilitation for these people. There should be no jailing of these people. They should be uh, uh, executed. And it seems a lot of them don't even want to be re- rehabilitated. Once they're that way, that's the way they want to be forever because they believe that's the path to enlightenment or something. Yeah. So let's 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 rush them along to enlightenment. Uh, <laughs> I say, why rob them of enlightenment? Give them their enlightenment. Help them out. Push them in front of a train. Shoot them. Did uh, did Israel ever have the death penalty, Howie? Only for Nazis. And only... Oh, okay. okay, okay. And it was only... The death penalty in Israel was only applied twice. Twice or three times. I think it was twice in Israel. Once for Adolf Eichmann. Uh-huh. And, one second. I have it here. One second. Because I, I, I pulled up these statistics... Um, I pulled up these, these statistics not long ago because I was making a case for capital punishment in Israel. So, so it was applied twice. Yeah, I was right. So uh, was, the first time it was ever applied was on June 30th, 1948. A guy named Mayor Tobiansky was killed. 
He was killed for treason. Uh, and uh, at the end, they found that he was killed by firing squad under President Chaim Weitzman. At the end, they found out that he had not committed treason. Oh, uh, oh He no. was exonerated after he was executed. Oh, boy. So after that, they never wanted to make that mistake again. So they changed the law to say that the death penalty will only apply to Nazi war criminals. And so See, the that next... was always my fear when it came to the death penalty. Exactly that, eh? So the next time that Israel committed, uh, well, um, executed somebody was Adolf Eichmann on, on May 31st, 1962. His, uh, his crimes were, of course, crimes against humanity and war crimes against the Jewish people and membership of an outlawed organization involving the murder of many Jews. That was mm-hmm. under President Yitzhak ben Zvi, and he was killed by hanging. And those were the only two times that Israel ever used the death penalty. And they haven't done it since. No. But I think it should be brought back because I think when you could prove that a terrorist, like he went, he went to the forest today and recreated the crime. So once once they could do that, then, I mean... You know, yeah, what's... that's the thing. But like when you were saying that the, the first death penalty that they, that they had and they executed somebody only for them to, to find that he did not do the crime. Okay, so... so that's okay. the only thing. That's was if there was ever... Uh, ever an opinion of mine is say like I'm against the death penalty. That's exactly the reason I would be against it for that very very reason. I understand that. I understand yeah. that. That's the only thing. Other other than that, if somebody actually is a Nazi that killed, and there's absolutely no way that they could disprove the fact that this person killed somebody, that's a different story. Then I wouldn't be against the death penalty. Uh, I understand what you're saying, but. You know, the laws of statistics kind of break in here, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and if you hold your government up to a standard where proof beyond a reasonable doubt is the um, proof beyond a reasonable doubt is the standard of before before um, before sentencing death penalty, and there, there could be no doubt whatsoever that this guy committed the crime. Then the laws of statistics come into effect that you know statistically you're going to kill more people uh, who committed crimes than people who didn't commit crimes. Uh, if I could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you committed a crime, chances are you committed the crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there'll be accidents and there'll be times where people will be convicted and they would have been innocent or, or framed or whatever else, and that happens. But, but you know, what, what's the trade-off? The trade-off is that we put these terrorists into prisons in Israel. They sit in prison for five, six years. Then uh, an Israeli soldier gets kidnapped or, uh, or an Israeli politician gets kidnapped. The Israeli government is desperate to have their person back. So what they do is they negotiate the release of these, these, these terrorists. These terrorists go back on the street and commit more terror. So, uh, you know, what is the trade-off here? The trade-off is the risk of them committing more heinous terror attacks or, or taking their lives and risking them and risking and risking, God forbid, Taking one or two innocent people. Well, what's the trade-off? Mm-hmm. I'd rather yeah. t- I'd rather take the risk of of killing an innocent man and saving ten thousand other people than erring on the side of caution and not killing the innocent man, releasing him back to the public and having him go and kill innocent people. I, I'm I'd rather take the uh, I'd rather take the um, the risk. That's all I'm saying. I understand that too, but again, it's when you're talking to the family, like let's say, you know, uh, the person is found innocent, but after the person's been killed, 
And, you know, what do you say to the family? Like, you know, this is the question. Like, what do you say to the family? I'm sorry. I, you know, we believe there was a, you know, that your son or your daughter committed this, this act and we sentenced that person to death. We like, made a mistake. Yeah. But how do you say to the family? Like, you, you, know, you go to the family, you go to the, you go to the family, you know, you, if you put somebody in jail, at least you could release the person. Wait, you don't think you don't think is, wait 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 you don't think putting a guy in jail for twenty years, uh, and then finding out he was innocent twenty twenty five years later, uh, of course, it's has, bad, but you're isn't not, but you're not, but, isn't that as bad again, as killing the guy? Come on, no no, but Howie, but the thing is, the person's still alive. You, you you kill a person, you kill a person. I mean, sure, I'm sure, if a person is in jail for twenty years, of course it's bad. I'm not saying it's not bad. You know, but at least the family could at least see him. But uh, you know, if a person person gets killed the family doesn't get to see them if you look through the history of the uh, death penalty you'll find that there are not very statistically very many people who were killed that were not that were not guilty well thank god for that there's not very yeah. many times that that has happened if it was done because there's usually a legitimate reason for it if it was not done in error it's because this person committed say crimes against humanity so there was a reason to do it um, I mean, I mean, it's up to uh, it's up to them to prove without a shadow of a doubt that there's no way in heck that that person, uh, him or her, was innocent. You know, before saying, you know what, we we're set, we're giving you the death penalty. All right, so let's look at the United States. Um, how many people were who were killed that uh, that were innocent? Okay, so since um, I'm just trying to find a year from 1915 until. Okay. Until let's say 1992, which was the last statistic taken, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were one, two, three, four, five, six people that were killed, that were that were that were executed. Six people that were executed, but uh, that were found exonerated after the execution. Six people from 1915 until. Until 1990, well, 2008, really. That's when he was. Uh, that's when he was executed. Interesting. Interesting is okay. right. So from 1915 to 2008, you're talking six people. Now, now, how many people were executed in that time period? Probably uh, hundreds. <sighs> yeah, and not every state had it anyway. Still, not every state still has it today. Right. I think there's only a few it, southern states. They yeah. still have the death penalty in place. Texas is one that comes to mind. Texas, Florida, I think, is another one. California gave it up, and I think New York gave it up. New York, I think, had it back and forth a couple of times for the death penalty. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, I'm trying to think what uh, what are the other states? Maybe Mississippi or, like, yeah, I guess Louisiana. I, I'm so, still I'm have so, it. I believe they're all in the South. I'm sorry, guys. I have to change my statistic here. Because oh, yeah. it's five people. Because the first person in the in the uh, the first person in the list was executed in 1863. Oh, and, but wow. she was exonerated 122 years later. That's kind of um, late, isn't it? Yeah, that's a little late. Yeah, a few people would have died off in that family. Yeah, maybe a couple. 22 years it took them to find out that they had done it in error. Yeah, that's not right. Oh, that yeah, that is definitely something wrong there. <laughs> Somebody done goofed. To put it lightly, so I'm. Uh, so what I'm saying is that uh, the chances of killing the wrong person is around four percent. And now they got DNA, so they got, I guess, more of an exact science, obviously, yeah. than 
than they did going back years ago where they didn't have DNA evidence. 4% is not a huge percentage. And uh, I really think that uh, that death penalty should be brought back for terrorists in Israel. I really believe that. Uh, all right. So it's um, so so we really have to get moving here. Um, do we want to go with uh, Sheldon Cinderblock first, or do we want to go with Mark David's uh, on the mark? Which which one should do you got? Should we flip a coin? <laughs> Doesn't make a difference. Uh, whatever you whatever you guys like. All right. So we're go- okay, Mark. So first we'll go to Sheldon Freed and Cinderblock. Okay, basically here on the Howie Silberger show. It's going to be a short one because it's basically about, I don't know what it is in your neck of the woods, Mark, but about the snow removal here in Montreal. Yeah. Now, we've, I don't know about Toronto. I know Toronto's also had pretty bad weather, but in terms of snow accumulation and how well they clean the streets, Mark, you, you, uh, you know, I'll leave that up to you to, you know, let, let us know about how well Toronto, uh, with John Tory, to be able to, um, you know, how they remove the snow, and if they do a good job, I don't know. For what it's uh, worth, Sheldon, I live just outside of Toronto. I'm in Vaughan in a part called Thorn Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our own mayor. We also have our own um, uh, public works. It takes care of the street cleaning. We've had, we've been dumped on a bit in terms of the snow, but I'm happy to tell you that uh, it was dealt with quickly. They did the major streets first and the smaller streets. I'm on a smaller street. Right now outside my house, there is snow, but everything's been clear. No problems, but more snow is coming this week. Yep, uh, they're, they're saying between 15 to 30 centimeters of snow coming to Montreal between Tuesday night into Wednesday. Yeah, we're, we're about to get the same hit over here. Okay, and the thing is, I think the gripe is about how bad this city has done since this mayor came in. This mayor, Mayor uh, Valerie Plant, has been absolutely horrific when it comes came to snow re- removal. But Sheldon, she, you voted for her. No, I did not vote for her, number one, because... <laughs> A, I was living in Dollard. Yeah, yeah, one. And yeah number, No, no, Howie, let's call a spade a spade here. Okay? Oh, now you're being and, racist. And, <laughs> and, and the thing is, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I've always been very clear to the chase. If somebody doesn't do a good job, I'm, I, I, you know, it doesn't make a difference of who, who that person is. It could be right side, left side, center, center side. Doesn't make a difference. Howie, the person. Valerie Plant absolutely stank when it comes to the snow removal. There's no bones about it. There's I'm not defending her, and if there's and believe you me, nobody could defend her. Even Lionel Perez, who's the mayor of this area, uh, the bureau, uh, bur- uh, borough mayor of this area, has said in his f- past forty some odd years of him being in politics, he's never seen Montreal this bad when he came to snow removal. The sidewalks are like extremely icy it's treacherous it's been absolutely horrific for the exception of the boroughs like on the west island where i used to live town of mount royal where i work where i presently work and you know hampstead Cote st luke and look i was even on i I was even just going on ellidale in in hampstead the other day the potholes howie and mark you wouldn't believe it was like going through craters of a war zone in four blocks in hampstead in hampstead that it was an absolutely horrific, horrific streets, ter- terrible conditions. And the thing is, they don't do a, they do a terrible job doing uh, working on potholes here. Never mind the fact that how bad they have cleaned the streets and have cleared the sidewalks. They were saying about different uh, boroughs having contracts with di- with the contractors. And the thing is that they they said in some of the contracts. They weren't even indicated how much salt or or uh, gravel to put down 
to ensure the safety of people walking on our sidewalks. That's now, all right. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but I have I have a problem with that. And you know what? Mayor Mayor Plant, she has you know what? She should resign now because it's <laughs> wow. absolutely it is deplorable of what she has done. She keeps making excuses and they say they have to do their jobs. They have to do their jobs. And also she ordered 300 and some odd uh, new buses, hybrid buses. And the thing is the buses are having problems. The transit are having problems. It's time for plant to resign and have somebody come in that knows how to work the administration and to benefit the citizens on the Island of Montreal. And that's what I have to say on center block. Wow. 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 Um, Sheldon Freed calling for the resignation of the Montreal mayor. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, you know what? There's no excuse anybody's going to give me of how badly she has handled the even the main streets and whatever. It's just plain bad. It's, it's, you can't, I, you know, I can't say it any worse. I can't say it any better than the way I have right now. It's been absolute years ago. Mark, you could remember this. I'm sure how you could remember this. Montreal knew how to remove, remove snow. And yeah. now they, it's like they've never seen snow before in their life. All right. So now um, now we move on from Sheldon to Mr. Mark David. And on the mark. Good evening and welcome to On the Mark for February 10th, 2019. We begin with a story out of Florida. Uh, we begin with a story out of Hawaii. Cigarette laws around the world are already tough, but if the Hawaiian government has its way, they may end up posing the most extreme smoking ban yet. According to a report from Sky News, the island state is mulling over a decision to raise the minimum legal age to buy cigarettes to 100 years old. What? what? Yes, to 100 years old. It is currently 21. <laughs> so if you don't die of cancer, you're going to die before you're able to smoke. <laughs> it seems that way. If approved, the law would take effect in 2024. The law is the brainchild of Democrat Richard Cregan, who is a doctor. We essentially have a group who are heavily addicted, in my view, enslaved by a ridiculously bad industry, which has enslaved them by designing a cigarette that is highly addictive, knowing that is highly lethal. And it is, Cregan said in an interview with the Hawaii Tribune Herald. If the law passes and you're under 100, your chances of buying cigarettes will certainly be extinguished. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, and I thought, and I thought William Steinberg's had a tough law in Hampstead. <laughs> this, uh, this is but at least he's not a hundred years old. <laughs> you got to be a hundred to buy cigarettes. That's great. I love it. Yeah, most people don't even live that long, so even if they do, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> they'll be they'll be up in smoke before they can get this one done. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. What were Cheech and Chong? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Uh, you, you'd figure that would be a, a law in Florida, like Mark originally said, but no, it's Hawaii. Yes. But here is a story that actually is from Florida. Oh, Florida. Looking, yes, oh, Florida. Florida. All sorts Florida. of fun. They stop smoking if they're 90? <laughs> Maybe the smoking law down there is 200. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. You got to be 200 to smoke. 
if you can make it to 200, all I can say is, wow. I'll light your cigarette for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll buy the matches. Anyway, uh, looking for a way to lose your job lickety-split? A government official found a way to do so and was literally caught by the tongue. The Associated Press reports that a city commissioner in Florida resigned from her post after the state fined her $5,000 over, over accusations that she had groped and licked the face of a co-worker. Madera Beach City Commissioner Nancy Oakley tendered her resignation and was censured by the Florida Commission on Ethics after Shane Crawford, a former city official, filed a complaint about Oakley's bizarre antics. The incident occurred at a public event where Oakley had been drinking heavily. She asked Crawford to leave, and when he refused, she first tried to take a swing at him and subsequently began to lick his face. Whoa. In her resignation letter, Oakley maintained her innocence, but by that point, her reputation had already taken a licking. Ouch. Well, I guess she left the job lickety-split. <laughs> lickety-split for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I guess oh. she had her last licks in. Yeah. Oh. Imagine, imagine somebody coming over and licking you. It's so weird. Uh, licking yeah. your face. I get it if a dog does it, but if we're talking about another human licking your face, that's just wrong. Oh, boy. So odd. It is. What kind of people do this? Where do these people come from? Florida. That's where. <laughs> yeah, of <course>. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I came back from Hawaii. <laughs> I forgot. It's all about Florida. should probably dedicate a segment of this newscast to weird news from Florida called the Florida Report. We, we could do a full hour on Florida. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Florida, California, now Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Only, only in Hawaii you have to be 100 years old in order to smoke. Yep. Wow. A great law. It's fantastic. I wish. Imagine if that gets approved in 2024. My money on it is on it getting approved. You think it's going to be approved, really? Yeah. Why wonder. not? It, it, some things they sound crazy enough to, to happen, and they might they actually do sometimes. People aren't nuts. Oh well, they are. I'm they sorry. are. I'm sorry, people are nuts. It's a weird world, Howie. We're just living in it. That is true. Yes. This week's random.org random five-digit number is 52997. That number could come in handy for your lottery needs, and if it does, the Howie Silberger Show and its staff are entitled to 30% of the winnings. That number again is 52997. Well, only 30% of the winnings again, Sheldon. I thought it was 33 and a third. No, it's 30. We worked that, the math last no, week. No, last week we said it was going to be 100 because we were going to split it 33 and a third. Each. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll change that for next week. All right, fine. On the Mark is con committed to help you, helping you win with words. Our word, our word this week is YELM, Y-E-L-M, a noun defined as a straight bundle of straw used for thatching. Use it in a sentence today and impress your friends with your whimsical word knowledge. That's Ooh, it that, for this week. Until that is the time. last YELM. Yeah. That's right. All right, Mark. What was your what was your ending there, Mark? Well, that's it for this week. Until next time, this is Mark David wishing you good night and good news. Your next report comes in exactly seven days and counting. And Yelm. And Yelm. Yeah. I, I will use it in a sentence if you want to hear that. Yes, of course we do. When the first little pig was building his house of straw, he built it Yelm by Yelm. 
Thank you, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> you remember the story of the three little pigs? One house of straw, yeah. one of sticks, and one of bricks. Yeah. Well, I remember, well, I remember the story, go. Mark. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I remember the story very well, Mark. As do, as do we all. Interesting to mention that it is the year of the pig. We had Chinese New Year celebrated recently. Mm-hmm. It is the year of the pig. The year of the pig. For us, that ain't kosher. <laughs> definitely not a kosher year for me. Nope. I was born the year of the tiger, for what it's worth. I, I, I have no idea. Nor <laughs> you can actually look it up. I, I don't care. Recycling <laughs> the animals. And if you look up your birth year on their calendar, you will find out under which animal year you were born. Uh, it's, it's, it's completely irrelevant to me. <laughs> it's irrelevant to me, too. <laughs> More or less irrelevant to me as well. But I figured, you know what? I want to see. I want to find out what year I was born under. So I looked it up like, oh, OK, that's interesting. I um, I I couldn't care less, to be honest. That's straight talk with Howie Soberger. I couldn't care less. About I, I'm, I'm just being honest. Uh, do you want me to lie? I could lie. I'm just trying to be honest. Honestly, I couldn't care less. Honestly, honesty counts. You know, um, some people care about these things. Not and so much me. Yeah. Now, am I supposed to care about them? I don't know. Do you That's want up me? To you. you make that choice for yourself. Do you, do you want me to care about them? Well, I don't know. But I, I, I really just don't. <laughs> Should you care about them? We don't know. I don't know. You tell me. I leave it up to you, Howie. You can decide. Well, it I leave it. I'm leaving it up to you, Howie. I leave it to my producer because my producer. Is oh, the, you're leaving it up to me. Uh, I oh, leave it up to my go. producer because my producer. Is the I guy who takes care of the show. He be. makes sure everything runs smoothly on the show. He yep. sets everything up and he yep. makes sure that the show is a, a good show. So I'm leaving it up to my producer to make the this show decision. Is always a good show. I am leaving it up to you. To you. Because you host it and Mark's a great guest. Sure, sure. So you're, lying you're lying now. You're lying now. You're lying now. Tell me I'm a good host. You're lying. I'm, of course I'm not lying. Of course you are. You know you're lying. Uh, I'm giving you a compliment. That's You're a lie. lying. Okay. <laughs> any any tweets at all? How we uh, just want to any tweets? <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, the Twitter machine. What's going on over yeah. there? You you realize that the only person who's ever tweeted us on this show there was only been one person. That was Ryan Morrow. After he was on the show, <laughs> after he was on the show, and we mentioned that we never got any one tweet. We we never even got one tweet. He immediately. Immediately, I while talking to us again. on the show, tweeted me. I hope he tweets you again just for that. That was the Ryan, only t- on you for doing that. That was the only tweet that we've ever gotten on the show. Was Ryan Morrow tweeting me while he was on the show? <laughs> that's, that's amazing. How many uh, how many likes do you have on Facebook now? Uh, I don't know. Two hundred. Uh, let's let's take a look. Two hundred and something odd. Yeah, it's, um, it's more than two hundred. We have uh, two hundred and. 50 odd? Nice. That's very good. Uh, one second. I can't. Where, where do I see that? 253. 253 likes on Facebook. Nice. Okay. See? Well, that's pretty good. 253. Very, very impressive, you know. What's so impressive about it? It seemed like only yesterday we were before we were below 200. Then you sang. Yeah, we lost 10, 10% of that when I sang. And, uh, once you sang, we were we 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 suddenly had all these um all, all these likes. 
Um, well, you know what? Uh, you know what? I think it comes a time now that I think how will you have to start singing because to get <laughs> I got to start singing. You know what? You know what? Because look, I mean, you're the host with the most. Yeah. So you have to, you know, you have to boost up your. Uh, you you want me? The show. Wait wait wait. You, you know what surprises me to this day, guys? Yeah. I used to sing on this show. I recorded ads that, where I sang. We yes, I remember before, that, Mark. And yes, that yes, did yes, not Mark. affect our listener count. Everybody no. remembers that, Mark. <laughs> Some of us want to forget it. Yeah, most of us want to forget it, Mark. Yeah, because at one point, Howie ditched, uh, dug up a couple of uh, pre-recordings that you did, Mark, and he started playing the different songs that you were singing. Yes, different promos right. and everything, and uh, yeah. Those were the days, my I, friend. I mean, I could do it again, but um, no, no, no. I, I, I choose, give our, give it our listeners see, I'm a producer, and I say no. I choose okay. not to. Yeah, okay. I choose not to. Okay, you choose not to. Not because Maybe. my producer told me not to, although I listen to everything he tells me to do. Okay, so if you're listening to everything I tell you to do, don't do it. Um, <laughs> I am telling you, as the originator of that content, also not to do it. I have sung on the show before. Yes, this is true. Sheldon yes. wasn't here when I sung on the show. Oh, okay. The, the miracles never cease. Okay, but uh, I could I could actually play you me singing on the show. I think you did once. I I, I think you did. I'm trying to remember what song it was, but you played it about four months ago. I played uh, me singing Lucille about four months ago. That's right. That's but it. but yeah. this is the first time I ever sang on the show. Yeah. Um, How many likes to... did you get after that? I'm just trying to find it. Uh, you see, we had a, we had a bunch of guys in studio. Sri uh, Herskovich and Daniel Nayatsade was in the studio with me at the time, and they didn't sing with they, you. They sang. They sang their own songs, but uh, they forced me. They forced me. They to sing, to sing the song "Hallelujah." Oh well, wait a minute! How how do they force the host of the show, which is Howie Silberger, you? How do they force you to sing? We I was celebrating ninety likes on the Howie Silberger Show Facebook page. It's <laughs> an odd number to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. So we we got up to hundred that night. This was five years ago. <laughs> We haven't much. We haven't progressed much past that. <laughs> but five years ago, we got up to ninety likes, and I got to sing "Hallelujah" on the show with. Uh, and you got a hundred. With um, uh, Dominic Ferraton was the producer at the time. Uh, we were on Radio Shalom. Um, Sri <laughs> Herskovich and Daniel Anayatsade was in studio with me. Uh, do you want to hear this? Before you do, I wanted to point something out. We were talking about our listeners. I can name at least one person who is listening to our program right now, and it is uh, Joel Krantz of Toronto, Ontario. Thanks for listening. Do appreciate that. Oh, hey, wow. Joel. A call out, Joel. Thank you. All right. Do you want to hear me singing this five years ago? Why not? Sure. All right. Fine. I twisted my arm. By the way, when I did this, I also weighed I also weighed 100 more pounds than I weigh right now. <laughs> oh, one more question. Were you under the influence of anything? Absolutely. I was going to ask that, Mark. I was going to ask that. <laughs> Absolutely not. So no uh, no schnapps, no wine, no nothing? Nothing at all. So this happened on June 16th, 2013. Oh, my God. I sang on the Howie Silberger Show for the very first time. June 16th, 2013. You ready? Hopefully we'll get another 100 likes. All right, yeah, right. In advance, I have to apologize to anybody who likes the song. <laughs> uh, are we, are we, am I doing With, this really? Yes. yes. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, 
women and men and children of all ages. We have a no, very no, children go away. Okay. <laughs> children go away. We have a very special <laughs> treat for you this evening. Anyone who has your plans, uh, Leonard Cohen, a Cohen's classic, Hallelujah, sung by your one and only very own host of the Howie Silver Show here live every Sunday evening from six to nine. Your one and only Howie Silver. All right, here we go. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? <laughs> like this, the fourth the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. All right, that's it. <laughs> we got to stop and we just got a text to say that we're going to be losing all our listeners. So there you go. A cappella on top of everything else? Uh, I think maybe music was playing on the air that just didn't turn up on this video. Um, uh, if you want to see that live, by the way, you want to see the video of that happening, you oh, could. Uh, I have to see that video. You, you could just go to. Uh, you could just go to the YouTube Howie Silberger Howie Silberger YouTube page. I just search try for that again. You want to try that? Uh, yeah, yeah. You can just go to my YouTube page, Howie Silberger. Go to YouTube and search for Howie Silberger, and the videos up there. I think that's the first time that YouTube channel has ever been mentioned on the show, at least as far as I know. I didn't even know it existed. Oh, well, there you go. It's been, it's been there since at least 2015. 2013. Hallelujah. 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 It sounded like somebody was tickling you or something. Oh, my gosh. I got a question for you. So terrible. Now you've heard Howie sing. Who's the better singer? You're the producer. After have you ever heard Sheldon? Uh, have you ever you heard Sheldon what? sing? Um, I would say to all three of us, and I'm yeah. including myself in this, let's not quit our day job anytime soon. <laughs> uh, has anyone ever heard Sheldon sing? Because uh, Sheldon yeah, sang. Well, I was on the Facebook video that you took. Sheldon sang on the show too. Did he now? He sang for the 160th like on Facebook. Another weird so, number. So I sang for the 90th. He sang for the 160th. Um, hmm. <laughs> it should have been the hundred eightieth, but anyway, we did a yeah, hundred sixty. That would have been yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, here is Sheldon singing, just because we have to round this oh up. Oh my God, you kidding me? Hey, go, go, go. go. Thank go. you for letting us be ourselves again, and thank you for liking us on Facebook. One hundred sixty. God bless you, Elizabeth. Thank you for letting us be ourselves again at TrueTalkRadio.com. I should I should make that into a promo. <laughs> sure. Sure. I should write some new promos with one stipulation that I don't have to sing it. <laughs> you don't have to sing them. Uh, so that was Sheldon singing uh, for 160th like, and of course, uh, if you happen to be uh, like number 300, um, <laughs> we're gonna sing together, all three of us. Uh, all three of us will sing. Um, we'll we'll sing together. Yeah. Yeah, brave souls we are. So, so you bring our like, our our, our likes up to three hundred. The Howie Silberger Show page on uh, Facebook, 
you you get your friends to like us, and you 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 like us, and everyone gets up to three hundred. When we hit the three hundredth like, we're at two hundred fifty three now. So when we hit the three hundredth like, all three of us will sing together. Which that is means, uh, I'll, be, I'll be a hundred at that time, and I'll be in Hawaii smoking. I understand. <laughs> I will probably still on this be on this show because that's yeah. just what's how life has turned out for me. Uh, me too. Me too. <laughs> I mean, me I've been too. on the show. I've been on the show half my life already. So I mean, well, you know, what's the other half? <laughs> what's, I've been what on for hell? a third. So yeah, that's that's something. What the hell? Let's 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 stay on the show for the rest of my life. Why not? Because it's all for the love of the game of the show. It's well, a we, labor of love, folks. We sure to heck don't get paid for this. So, um, no, we don't. no, no, we don't. We don't get paid for that. No. So, so you know, it has to be for the love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why Sheldon sang for us. Thank you, Sheldon. You're welcome, Howie. And that's why Mark sang for us. Thank you, Mark. My Thank pleasure. you, Mark. I'm not sure if I'll be doing that again. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> know if I'll be doing that again. And Howie, thank you for singing also. I don't oh, think anyone wants welcome. me to do it again. I don't know if anyone wants me to sing again. I don't think anybody wants me to sing again. Certainly all right, nobody wants to hear my voice again. So, um, so we all know, uh, we all know this uh, this twenty nine year old Democrat that was elected in uh, in New York. What was her name? Uh, something Cortez. What was her? What's her first name? <laughs> Why am I drawing a blank on this one? Is her last name Acacia Cortez? Acacia Cortez. What's her first name? Oh, rubbish. I just heard it in the news. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on this, and I have no idea why I should know this. Is it Amelia? Anduria? Alufia? <laughs> Alexandria. Alexandria. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yes. Yeah, yeah, All right, yeah. so... Um, so um, well, also known as by her initials AOC. All right, so we got we got we got a um, a remix of Billy Jean to play for you. <laughs> oh boy! Here we go. I remember this. She told me her name was AOC. She was in DC. She said, "Excuse me, but can you please pay my rent? I cannot afford my." was that <laughs> wait that was an abrupt ending yeah, i know <laughs> didn't you uh mark did you sing a billy jean tune for on howie's show some of the few songs i didn't do uh there were no, we never Beatles did billy jean tunes. we did do billy jean no no we never did billy jean oh we should well, have done billy jean or didn't you do yeah. a michael didn't you do a michael jackson song i'm trying to remember uh hmm. we should have done man so. in the mirror that was a good one 
Yeah, well, we did The Gambler. I, the way all that started is I'd say to Howie, name a popular song. I'll make it into a commercial using lyrics about you and the show. So he'd think and he'd give me a song at random. And I'm like, okay, while the show was going on before my segment, I would work on it. By the time the show was over, I had the script written. Then we recorded usually in one take. And then after that, I would look at Howie. Howie would look back at me and we would proceed to laugh our heads off. It's true. Wow, to do it in one take, that's ex boy, that's something. Yeah, we used yeah. to do used to do ninety-nine percent of them we did in one take. Yeah. Some of them we did in multiple takes because we were just laughing so hard. So we had to do it again. Yeah, because sometimes lyrics were really funny. Or sometimes they were. Or sometimes uh, Mark's singing was really funny. Um yes. but um, so much crack myself up. But most of them we did in one take and then I put them into the system, we listened to them in the car on the way home. Yeah. So it was a quick addition into the regular the radio station system that we would run to the car and we would hear them and we would laugh even more. Wow. Good times. Yeah. That's a nice HSS flashback for y'all. <laughs> All right. So a little bit of a news update uh, because uh, the story we covered a couple of weeks ago, an attorney representing Nick Sandman, the 16 year old student from Covington Catholic high school in Kentucky, who became the center of political controversy last month, have announced legal action against Nathan Phillips, the Native American man whose Sandman and his classmates were accused of mocking. Atlanta-based lawyer L. Lynn Wood, who is known for winning defamation cases, told Lightsight News that Phillips will be sued for his lies and false accusations against Sandman and the Covington students, which he said are well-documented. Wood said the first round of lawsuits will be filed within two weeks. Now, Sandman's legal team sent legal notices to more than 50 journalists, media personalities, Hollywood celebrities, media organizations, and Catholic organizations on February 1st notifying them that they could be potentially sued for defaming Sandman. These entities, the lawyers allege, propagated a false negative, a false narrative, excuse me, that accused Sandman and Covington students of mocking Native Americans in Washington, D.C. last month. In the letters, the lawyers requested any evidence pertaining to Sandman, Covington, and the overall incident be preserved for future use in legal proceedings. On the onset, the list of potential legal targets was set at 54, but Wood told LifeSite News that numbers continue to grow, explaining Sandman's team of lawyers is in the process of sending formal written retraction demands in conformity with the statutes and states which litigation may be filed. Wood further confirmed on social media Friday that Phillips will be sued. Wood's also confirmed that the Diocese of Covington continues to investigate the Washington incident involving Covington students, although he does not know why. He told LifeSite News, we have no idea why the investigation by diocese has not been concluded, but we are confident that any objective review of the evidence will conclude that Nick did nothing wrong. Nick remains calm and well-mannered despite being confronted by an activist beating a drum within inches of his face while chanting loudly. Nick did not utter one word except quietly urge a classmate to refrain from making any comments that might aggravate the situation created by Philip and the black Hebrew Israelites. Uh, Woods released a 14-minute video last week showing the narrative arc of the Covington controversy, beginning with the disinformation campaign parroted by the mainstream media to the actual truth of what happened on the steps of the Lincoln Monument. So good for him. I hope they all get sued, and I hope they all lose their lawsuits and these kids get money, and they use that money for good. Because as good Catholic kids, they're probably going to use it for some kind of charity event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good for them, for sure. Good for them. You know, media, interesting how that turned out. Media has to be held accountable when they make mistakes, and yep. uh, after they realized that what they had said was wrong, and they had maligned sixteen-year-old kids, and they've yep. ruined sixteen-year-old kids' lives. After they realized that, they still didn't retract their stories. They still didn't go. They still didn't step back, 
And some of them were still reporting it days later, days after the, uh, the longer videos came out. Some of them were still reporting the, the lies and the fabrications only because these kids were wearing MAGA hats. They were wearing uh, Make America Great Again hats. And the media hates Donald Trump. And this was one way to get back at Trump. Yeah, and that's not right. That's, that was not right. You know what? When it comes to media, you know, you have a responsibility. And this was the thing I've always said, that media has to be impartial and has to stick to the facts not, not and to be totally impartial and totally right and neutral, right dead center and just call the facts. And make sure if you're going to report a story, do your research. Research and research again. And uh, they don't. If it's a story that makes Trump look bad or a story that has potential to, to cause Trump trouble, they will no, run with it. Th- and that's the thing. And that's something I said to you, Howie, that it doesn't make a difference if it's Trump, Obama, or whatever. You, you stick to the facts. You don't defame a president because you don't like the president. You stick to the facts. If the president does something right, no matter who it is, you give that person credit. If the person does something wrong, then he or she should become accountable. Well, that's that week also had uh, two more stories that week uh, that the media had to jump back on because uh, they, they weren't credible. Uh, they had a story about um, about Michael Cohn admitting that uh, that the president pressured him to lie to Congress. And they, they said they had proof on that and that uh, the um, the Mueller investigation was going to come out and uh, and make that announcement soon. And the Mueller investigation actually came out. The Mueller team actually came out and said that's false information. And uh, uh, and there was another story, too. I don't remember what the other story was, but they all came from BuzzFeed. So when you start relying on BuzzFeed wow. to be your uh, to be your media to be your media base, uh, you know, media in, in the United States has gone to the to, to the to the sewer. You know, you know, yeah. they're, they're done. It's always because media is always they sensationalize so much stuff. And BuzzFeed, it's all about ratings. It's all about readership and viewership. It's all about sensationalism. That's yeah. what they go for, and I've never been a fan of that. No. And BuzzFeed is not really a uh, a reliable source. Let's. It's like using Wikipedia to do a uh, a research paper. Mm-hmm. Sure, you might Honestly, get. Honestly, to... I go read. I read things off of BuzzFeed, and it's all the same. Top ten, this or that. I don't know. It's rubbish. I don't get why people read it. Well, it's uh, the same thing as the National Enquirer. Why do people read that stuff? It's one. And they of the have big... their own problems now with Jeff Bezos. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's not going to end well. No. Well, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, right? He does. And that's a well-respected newspaper. Or one point of it is, I don't know if it's still as well, as it, well respected as it used to be years ago. It was. Yeah. Until they became a, uh, until they became a, um, a, a Trump bashing rag. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I don't understand why media has to has to bash a president. And this is what I always said: the media has no business endorsing a, a political party and has no business going after a president because they don't like a president. You keep your opinions to yourself and you stick to the facts. And you know, um, Shelton has been saying that for years. By the way, <laughs> it's not a new it's not a new revelation. I remember uh, years ago. Years ago, when uh, the suburban newspapers uh, were, were pushing one candidate for mayor over another candidate, a conversation I had with Sheldon, not on the radio, but a conversation I had with Sheldon uh, privately, Sheldon mm-hmm. made the exact same argument. He says, why are they doing this? Uh, media organizations should be neutral. They shouldn't be pushing one candidate over the other. 
we were taught in journalism school to always be impartial, always, you know, not pick a side, things like that. And for the most part, you know, there was never a problem for me uh, when I was a journalist. So I was simply following what I was taught, which I believe to be the right thing. And uh, what the media is doing now with all this, I don't think it's right. Well, boys, we are out of time. It's been fun. I want to. I want to thank you for uh, for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. I want to thank everybody who's listening. I want to thank everybody who's not listening. I want to thank everybody who called in. I want to thank Ryan Morrow. I want to thank Sheldon and Sheldon and Eric also got something to say. Yeah, I'd like to thank. Uh, I want to I'd thank like to thank my, my two names too. I want to thank, thank Sheldon and Eric, and I want to thank Mark and Elliot <laughs> for being a part of the show. <laughs> and I'd like to thank Howie Yitzchak. No, 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 not even close. All right, well, <laughs> and we'll see you again next week. Have a great week, folks. Have a good one. Take, Take care, care, everybody. Bye. Strong, it's the start of something big. We can't be wrong.